Sweet. Okay. Well, episode 10, take two. We are taking another stab at this. Uh, hopefully everything goes well. No more technical difficulties. Um, the program we're using can be a bit finicky, I understand. Um, but today, we got our first two-time guest, the reigning champion, uh, John. John, how are you today? Yeah, really good. Feeling kind of like an idiot for accidentally destroying our previous attempt at this recording, but we're going to go back at it again. We're going to do it even better this time. I was not going to say uh, what happened. I was just going to say technical difficulties, but if you want to take the blame, um, I don't blame you because you're you're my (laughs) friend and I don't blame friends for things usually. Um, (laughs) But uh, today we have a, a very special show very exciting show probably the format that i'm going to do periodically with my favorite bands did it with every time i die recently um but this time we are going to be talking about the career and the albums of the seminal band death um death being not the first death metal band um i think i think you can fairly say that possessed seven churches was kind of the first true death metal album um they even have a song called Death Metal on that album, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but the out the genre was really f- like formed and forged by uh, Death. So, you know, if you want to give a little bit of background, John, you can go ahead and jump in. I know that this is also one of your favorite bands. You know quite a bit about them. So, you know, how did Death become uh, who they are? Where did it come from? <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I guess... Uh... Obviously, the driving force behind the band, uh, Chuck Schuldiner, uh, sole like constant member throughout its many lineup changes. Uh, initially starting, I think, when the Florida area. Uh, initially under the name, initially under the name Mantis, like Mantis, but with a A instead of an I. Uh, yeah. Um, eventually, yeah, taking on the name Death uh, and recording a shit ton of demos that got some attention before. Uh, starting to record their albums and yeah just throughout the 80s and 90s a constantly revolving door of musicians somehow creating some of the not so, not only some of the best death metal of that period but also just stuff that defined the genre especially in the early stages uh, both sonically uh, in terms of subject matter uh, t- uh, techniques uh, vision like no one I think ever quite directly ripping the band off although you never know i haven't listened to everyone out there but certainly providing a sort of guiding force for the overall ethos of death metal i think yeah absolutely and and they are uh, a really interesting band history wise because as as we said maybe they weren't the first uh, but chuck as a visionary kind of had the idea for what he wanted to do even before possessed seven churches came out um, a lot of his developments as a musician, as an artist, really began in like 1983 um, when he was 16 years old, which, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about periodically just what a precocious talent he was. Um, but, you know, it, it really was interesting to me because I think that a lot of people, myself included, um, assume that death metal was sort of born out of thrash, that like thrash was first and then a bunch of people heard the thrash and were like, okay, we want to do that, but harder. You know, it's very easy to look at a band like Slayer and say, yeah, obviously this came, and then after that you had all these death metal bands. And I'm sure that was the case for some bands, but Death itself was not a band uh, born directly out of thrash. 
uh, you ask, you know, people ask Chuck over the years what his influences were, where the band's, where the band came from, what his ideas were, um, and he directly cites a new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, he cites jazz and classical music as big influences for him, which you don't really hear at all <laughs> on their first few albums, but you definitely can hear uh, by their fourth album. Um, a, a bit of irony that I found while researching this, you know, um, not a big deal or anything, but, you know, he says the new wave of British heavy metal, but his favorite band of that era is actually French, um, a somewhat little known band called Sortilage, I think is how you would pronounce it. Um, I did a little bit of listening and they're actually pretty good. Honestly, I don't know if you've heard of them. I don't think I've ever listened to that band. No, I should check it out. Yeah, they're, um, they're worth listening to if you like that kind of thing. Um, you know, throughout the years, he would cite bands like Metallica, Queensryche, King Diamond as a big influence. King Diamond coming up later on uh, in some of his later albums being, you know, directly influential on the sound. Uh, he cites Slayer and he cites Celtic Frost as pretty much every extreme metal band of the 80s would cite. Uh, Celtic Frost is, is just everywhere. Uh, but it all kind of begins in earnest when he hears Nasty Savage for the first time. Uh, not the only person who has cited them. It's sort of like how grindcore bands will tell you that Discharge was like their their first big leaping point when they heard Discharge. Uh, Nasty Savage keeps coming up, sort of an underground band that, that nobody really knows of or talks about these days, but in the 80s, uh, certainly. Now, have you ever listened to them by chance? Again, like, uh, it's, it's weird. Some bands I do find myself, like, really going back and listening to all their influences that they cite. Uh, haven't gone around to doing that with uh, Death, outside of the obvious ones you mentioned, like, obviously, Slayer and Celtic Frost. But, uh, yeah, again, I think I will have to go back and check out the, the really underground stuff that Chuck was drawing influence from. Yeah, uh, it's a, that's a strange band, um, is how I'd put it. You know, you listen to them... The guitar tone is there. Uh, the riffs are there. You can really hear on on Death's first album, especially where he got the ideas for the production value, because Chuck kind of took a firm hand with the production of these albums and the engineering of these albums. Um, but the vocals you absolutely do not hear, because Chuck, of course, with the death growl at the beginning, Nasty Savage having this very, in my opinion, frankly, kind of cheesy, uh, almost power metal vocals. Um, but hey, mm. we all start somewhere. Um, yeah. So again, the band starts 1983 when he begins things in earnest. Uh, he starts traveling quite literally across the continent, going from Tampa, Florida, um, which you're from the UK, so you, you probably don't know Tampa. Uh, I spent a fair amount of time in my youth there. Um, pretty popular, um, you know, sort of uh, travel spot where people go is like their, their vacation. It's in South Florida, extremely muggy extremely hot, uh, but decent beaches. It's right in the Gulf of Mexico. So um, that's where it was forged in, in that area. I I don't know Florida, but I just know about the heat, and I don't know how any death metal bands were able to play that fast and that intensely when it was that fucking hot out. And like, there's that, that video of, what is it, I think Morbid Angel just playing in that like garage just outside of it when it's clearly like 100 degrees or something, and it's like, goddamn. Yeah, 100 degrees with, like, 100% humidity. I, I really can't stress enough how oppressive the humidity is in Tampa. And I live in Kentucky, right on the river. Um, I'm sure that you don't know Kentucky, because we are not uh, a particularly notable state, unless you really like bourbon and horse racing. Those are, like, or college basketball. 
those are the three things. There are main three exports. <laughs> One out of three, maybe I could get into there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely not that notable, except for the humidity, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, anyway, he travels from Tampa. He goes all the way to California. Again, as a teenager, like as a very young person, his parents are extremely supportive, said that they wanted him to go and pursue things. So he goes all the way to California. He goes all the way up to Canada at some point. Um, and he's looking wasn't, for... Wasn't there a point... So wasn't there a point where um, two of the guys from Re- Repulsion, Seminole Grindcore Band, who were based in Michigan, like somehow ended up in an in incarnation of death? Like, so I don't know if I forget if Chuck had gone to Michigan or if they had come to Florida. But like, I think it was kind of both. I think that like there was sort of this revolving door of him going places, people following him, he following them, um, and of course Chuck being a total perfectionist. Um, frankly, a lot of people would say kind of too much of a perfectionist to deal with um he had this revolving door of people that would work with him and he would travel all that way and they would travel all that way only for them to be like yeah this isn't working and then in a couple of months they would have to go back to where they came from uh i mean all these people yeah must have been just incredibly dedicated to yeah a form of music that at that time had no critical respect or adoration or really much chance of uh, uh, commercial success either just traveling all over your insanely huge country to do it (laughs) yeah yeah just really astounding stuff again as teenagers as well um and chuck was a minor with some of this not even of adult age at that point so again very supportive parents i don't know if i would have been that supportive uh if i were his parents but hey good for him i guess because it worked out Mm -hmm. um and that brings us four years into his sort of creative uh blooming uh i guess you could say to 1987 scream bloody gore the first uh lp by death um i wanted to note that at the very beginning of the album the very first words you hear are chuck screaming die over and over again just to kind of set the table uh i think it was pretty effective (laughs) Um, yeah like uh creeping death by metallica you get the the sort of bridge of the song halfway through just shouting die over and over again which if you've ever seen them live is the fucking hardest shit in the world but like yeah you're putting that right at the front of the album very first song just instantly getting to that peak of intensity it's good good start yeah good start and a good album honestly um you know we i started this podcast honestly because of you um because when i was live tweeting my listen of the rolling stone top 100 uh, metal albums um, you said I should just record this and just talk about it. And I was like, you know, that's actually a pretty good idea. My wife has been badgering me to start a podcast forever anyway, so let's do it. Um, and my note on death was that I looked through this list before I really listened in earnest because I listened to every single album on there. And uh, I made a note that you could probably put every death album on there if you really wanted to. It's a case that I might actually make, especially if you're talking about the significance of the albums and not just how good they are as albums mm-hmm. um which I, I remember that that list a lot of entries are clearly on there for their significance to the development of metal rather than their actual quality and yeah if you're making that argument scream bloody gore definitely gets on there it, again it's, it's a good album but i think perhaps more significant one it's certainly not as good as uh what death would later develop into uh late, later albums i think have a better quality argument for being on that list but this one maybe has the biggest significance uh behind it honestly i think so because uh in their later albums and we'll get to that you know there there's a lot of bands that maybe heard it and took some influence by it but whether they could not or would not 
uh, take direct influence from those because I think that they were sort of out of a lot of people's comprehension, uh, a lot of people's ability to rip off basically those later albums. This one was basic enough that, you know, you listen to it now uh, in 2022 and it's pretty clear that it's extremely raw um it's pretty basic there are a million bands right now in this old school uh death metal craze that's going on in the metal underground uh, a lot of bands sound exactly like this uh which is probably not good on their part because this was already been being done in the 80s um i i do want to note everything about this is so influential the riffs i think were kind of directly taken from bands like nasty savage a lot of bands from new wave british heavy metal um really again that's sort of like a permutation on an influence like an influence of an influence kind of thing um but you know the album artwork was influential uh it's also extremely cool i wouldn't be surprised if i got a tattoo of the the little skeleton man in the robes holding out the goblet seating on a throne love those little skeleton guys i I got a long sleeve of uh like that album art oh man i know exactly what you're talking about i have like restrained myself physically from buying it so i feel you um you know what what's uh what sticks out to you on this album sonically because it's kind of hard to say too much about it because again it's sort of like a bog standard death metal album but that was so that was the farthest thing from bog standard in 1987 yeah it's, it's only standard because it's been so imitated since then uh I guess this is the closest uh, the band gets to being a one-man band. Like, Chuck is playing all the guitars and bass and singing on the album. Uh, drums provided by a teenage uh, Chris Reefert, who would go on to be the drummer and singer in Autopsy, another uh, long-running death metal uh, establishment, I guess. Um, and perhaps because of that, like, essentially solo project nature of it, uh, it's just one guy doing all the uh guitars and such there's maybe a little bit it's a little bit too restrained and and again it's you know first time in a real recording studio perhaps not feeling completely confident as on later albums so not going completely as as far out as they would uh but yeah still still as we said the, the sort of solid foundation on which so much more uh death metal would be built like both for the band themselves and for the wider genre just going back to this as the foundation um and i I think it's also interesting for me of it being so primordial and so early in uh death metal's development that it sets a lot it sets a lot of the tone in terms of the the horror movie uh theming of all the songs uh there's one of the stronger songs on the album just called evil dead after the the film which yeah i think was a gigantic influence on the entire genre of that movie um some some bands would continue to stick with that kind of horror movie aesthetic and atmosphere. Uh, uh, chief among them, Autopsy. Uh, Chris Reefer drumming on this album, later forming that band, which really hewed hard to that horror movie presentation and aesthetic and keeping a relatively uh, simplified approach to songwriting. Like, still technically complex because it's death metal, but nowhere near as uh, out there as death would become for example death taking on what the, the more progressive or uh spiritually or psychologically minded uh wing of the genre with autopsy keeping it down in the in the gutter essentially yeah being in the gutter uh it has its place i love death i love the complexity i love the complexity of themes that they would get into later 
uh, Chuck being a very thoughtful, introspective person from from all accounts. Um, but goddamn, do I love some some nice, just brutish, bludgeoning sort of uh, death metal that Autopsy would write. I just really enjoy that. Um, I would also like to make a note of Evil Dead um, because you know we talked about this album, we talked about this band, we talked about this movie. Um, I was going to say last night, but that was, yeah, that was yesterday at like, what, seven in the morning, my time, something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, very much not my best moments. I was uh, going on zero sleep and very sick. Um, but I decided yesterday when I did wake up at noon after sleeping a couple of hours, um, I would watch Evil Dead. So I watched Evil Dead one and two yesterday. Um, nice. I also watch Halloween Ends and actually Halloween Ends prompted me to watch Evil Dead because I was like, well, that was a shitty horror movie, so maybe I should watch an actually good one. Um, yeah. Had not seen Evil Dead 1 in a very long time, probably since I was a teenager. Um, was surprised at how well it holds up, uh, and I'm saying all this to, to note that I believe you had said that really the influence from that movie, yes, the sort of splatter, gore, demonic, whatever kind of stuff, but also just sort of the glee uh, in the film like just sort of reveling mm. in the the splatter violence of it every demon is, yeah. seems to be having a great time and that's kind of like what is so central about death metal and this album is they're just sort of rolling in it you know yeah especially at this early stage well like in that film the focus is not on the the horror of the protagonists or their psychological state so much it is just that yeah the, the the gleeful sadistic nature of the the deadites and so on and yeah, especially on this early album, that's really what, where the focus is. Just having, as as we said, those skeletons on the cover are having a wonderful time. <laughs> They're having a great time, man. They're just having around, couple having a couple of drinks with the boys. Uh, yeah, you know, boys' night out, but with blood. Um, so we can move on to uh, 1988, uh, Leprosy, their second LP, uh, two year, one year later. Um, really interesting on this one because you know it's only one year since Scream Bloody Gore. Uh, they're not a totally different band at this point, but it sounds like they matured kind of overnight. Uh, but I think that makes sense when you consider that Chuck had been working on Scream Bloody Gore since he was 16. You know, it sounds very much like a teenage album, like kids doodling in their notebook with like little skeletons and swords and, sh- and such. Um, but this one, very much on the same themes, but I think a lot of the gleefulness is taken out of it and it takes on a, a bit of a darker turn. Uh, in a way, just the tone of the album feels a lot more serious and a lot more uh, mature in that way. So I, I don't know if you got that same vibe from it, but I, I kind of um, de- de- I mean, definitely. And it's insane to think about that that level of kind of advancement and maturity came like literally one year after that previous album. Um, I think I said previously that of, you often find that bands' first album is a lot more considered and overall satisfying and mature because they've had a longer time to produce it that's where they put all the best ideas into and then the second song come the second album comes out they've just spent all their time touring and not had enough time to write songs and it maybe ends up being a bit weaker as a result but this is like the opposite like in a relatively short span of time having been able to mature quite a lot and um i don't know how much of that was due to the band personnel changes uh getting more of a full band in there second guitarist at least I think Chuck's still playing bass on this album. He is. But a dif- different drummer as well. And maybe there's a little more like, band interplay, making it more of a band than a so- uh, solo project. I don't know. 
Yeah, it, it would make some sense. And the second guitar player on this album is actually Rick Ross, who uh, Chuck had worked with to some extent in the demo days. Uh, so, you know, maybe um, not on the, the actual album itself, Scream Bloody Gore, but I'm sure that Rick had at least written some riffs or, or had had some influence on the riffs. Um, you're not getting that much of a difference here. Um but I think you do get much stronger sort of standout album or songs on this album. The first album, a lot of these songs kind of sound similar to me. There's not like a huge variance in quality. Uh, it's just a solid album all the way through. Whereas on this one, they get to something that I saw as a strong point, and I, I'm sure it was intentional because Chuck was a very thoughtful person. I think he did everything with a lot of intent behind it, uh, even at this early stage of his career and his life. Um, and they they do this nice thing where they have a great uh sequencing of tracks you know what i mean like they line up the album like the first album i didn't note this but the very first song has a riff in it that they repurpose and use at the end of the last song which is just a nice little um nice little touch and it shows that even back then they were doing this nice sequencing with the tracks and in this one they do a nice one two with two of their better songs in left to die and pull the plug um songs that i think would hold up as some of their best even with them maturing by leaps and bounds later on. Um, is that something that you notice or am I just sort of reading into it that I think there's a lot to how they put the tracks together? Um, I mean, I, I certainly, perhaps it's just because I've listened to the later albums a lot more. I noticed the sequencing and the strength of it there a lot more. Um, maybe not quite as much on Leprosy. I I think, is, is it Pull the Plug's start of side two of the album? I, I forget. But I mean, that's obviously a standout track uh that is kind of weirdly like the same year that metallica released one with the the video of the guy like trapped in his own body and uh on live support and stuff this is essentially approaching the same idea from a slightly different angle uh, and it's it's i guess kind of weird that at two very different poles of the metal world people are just kind of converging in on similar thematic ideas if not um musical ones um yeah there's a well, for one thing, and I didn't think of this when we first took a stab at this recording, uh, probably because I was so dep sleep deprived, um, but I, I do think often about how bands develop concurrently with one another. Uh, that's something that seems to happen, not just in metal, I think music generally, you see this sort of sociopolitical background creating, uh, you know, the arts at the same time that kind of has some similarities. I'll be getting into more of that on uh, what is planned to be my next show, which is about uh, Deathcore, which I know you don't like, <laughs> a lot of people don't like, which I think is why I won't do it, because it's, you know. It, so, so, all, all someone needs to do is show me the good stuff. I'm, I'm sure it exists. We'll be I'm, talking I'm sure about the good there. stuff, I promise you. Uh, listen to the episode, everybody. You'll, you'll hear some good stuff. But anyway, Deathcore kind of has this thing where in like 2005, uh, 2004 to 2006, you see pretty much a fully matured Deathcore all happening at the same time with multiple bands. Um, and I think it's the same thing with death metal. A lot of these bands come from the same place at the same time, recording albums that sound pretty similar, partially because of tape trading and, and having those early days instead of having blogs and, you know, everybody talking on Bandcamp or something like that. Uh, they had tape recordings and they would send them back and forth through the magazines and the mail. Um, but I think that pointing out the theme being similar to Metallica's one, these are the kids of like the Vietnam generation you know what i mean like their parents if not you know maybe they didn't fight in vietnam but 
they probably knew people who did certainly the art in the time period one was actually influenced by a song called uh, or a movie called johnny got his gun uh which is about a vietnam vet and so i think that maybe that fixation on death and sort of a disillusionment uh, but also sort of reveling in violence might have come from uh the vietnam war you know as a as a good marxist i think that material circumstances um create culture uh rather than the other way around so i could imagine that had something to do with it oh uh, no doubt i would i would agree with that analysis as well um uh yeah yeah i think vietnam certainly has a gigantic and and the, and the social upheavals happening in america itself at the same time obviously you have a giant influence on people's conception of violence and uh their responses to it uh with metal i guess being yeah a way of dealing with the uncertainty and violence in the world uh through some attempt to engage engage with it in a not running from it but running towards it trying to embrace it almost and express it in song but again maybe i'm talking out of my ass there um no i think we're on to something i'll, I'll give us some credit for being on to something <laughs> um and speaking of social upheaval, sort of a lot of the, you know, things happening in current events at the time, uh, we get to 1990, spiritual healing, two years later, um, you actually have, I believe, an entirely new, ba- no, you don't, you actually have the same drummer from Leprosy, uh, Bill Andrews, from what I understand, the first person to be on consecutive works by death, and then they have... I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I think everything else was new other than that. Um, something else that's new on this one is, like I said, it's it's about sort of current events, sort of the, you know, weird stuff that was happening in the, the early 90s, the late 80s, with a lot of, um, let's say, concern over, um, you know, people's relationship to drugs and people's relationships to uh, children, of course, like this is coming out of the satanic panic and going into sort of the panic over drugs. Uh, I know that you made a note of this when you were sort of live tweeting your list of yeah. deaths albums yeah you got you got i mean on the cover of course the uh you got the sort of kind of televangelist uh exerting control over some sort of mental patient looking dude uh, so obviously there's going to be a lot it's metal you're going to get a lot of critique of uh, it's organized religion in there of course as you said you, you yeah you've also got an attempt to comment on other socio-political issues in a way that's like admirable given the lack of other bands i think doing that in death metal at the time but perhaps also does very reflect a kind of almost immature attempt to do so like not having much i don't know um so i guess i guess i feel this most strongly with uh opening track on the album living monstrosity being a uh very angry uh song directed at the uh what the the supposed crack baby phenomenon mm-hmm. the idea that uh, mothers taking crack cocaine during pregnancy with their, would affect their unborn children and cause them a lifetime of uh, medical and developmental issues, which later proved to be largely bullshit. Like, obviously, don't smoke crack while you're uh, pregnant, but like, if you do, yeah, you you probably shouldn't. But it's not gonna like ruin your child for life. But obviously, this was at the time used as justification for all kinds of uh, yeah prejudice and. Uh, discrimination against uh like poor or largely black uh women uh uh, engaged or suffering from drug addiction and sadly the song yeah takes a very sort of angry condemnatory tone to uh it's 
supposed uh, figure of this without really considering hang on is what am i getting swept up into here with this this social panic like it's disappointing that someone else that's that someone who generally shows a generally perceptive and inquisitive mind in other uh, lyrics throughout his career is kind of swift to condemnation in this one for something that turns out not to be uh what it was sold as being in the media i suppose but like yeah you, you know like you're always going to get like uh issues with the lyrics from bands you like they can't all be winners um doesn't stop my enjoyment of the album I, I do think it's a weird transitional phase for the band of going from that earlier simplicity and rawness of scream bloody gore that uh matures a little bit on leprosy and here there's an attempt to leap forward a lot more that there are sort of longer and more complex song structures and guitar solos everywhere uh maybe not quite as cohesive as it would be on later albums a little bit not not always muddled exactly even but like not reaching the heights it later would um, which I, which I guess also reflects the the attempt to deal with more real world and uh, like pressing issues in the world than just like horror stuff, uh, which is again an admirable uh, goal to reach for. But like the first attempt at it doesn't fully get there, I suppose. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it's it's it. I don't know. It's probably the album of theirs that least grabs me. I guess. Um... You know, the first one, there's a sort of, you know, youthful exuberance to it. It's a new thing. It's a fresh thing. It's an exciting thing. This is probably a better album, um, but it doesn't it doesn't interest me as much as probably the rest of their albums do. Um, but you're right. There, there are at least attempts to develop. You can see this as a very clear uh, transition between Leprosy and Human, their next album. Um but, you know, you see, I think they slow down a little bit on this. There's not that sort of, like, need to be fast all the time, which I think is something that they understand in greater detail later. Um, they start embracing harmonies, you know? You, you hear the guitars harmonizing more. Uh, and they also, I think, leave some space for melodies to play out um, more than they do on previous albums. Um, just not as strong of a grasp on that kind of thing uh, that they would have just, just one year later on human which human is funnily enough probably my favorite album of theirs uh i don't think it's their best but it is probably my favorite um i think of this uh as sort of analogous to you know i just talked about every time i die so they're really fresh on my mind they're my favorite band you know so obviously they're fresh on my mind anyway um but i kind of likened this to the every time i die the album the big dirty um, because that's my favorite of theirs, but it is um, sort of an immature album from them, sort of a, a little bit more scattershot than some of their later stuff. But I think that that album was the first time that they started playing with stuff that would later on be fully matured and fully realized, just as Human, I think, is clearly not them at their, their peak. They hadn't yet hit that, but it was the one that was the most visibly identifiable, like, this is the band that they're going to be. Um, they're just not quite there yet. No, I, I largely agree. I, I think maybe uh, <clears throat> the either of the two albums following Human might be my uh, favorite of theirs, but Human is definitely the start of the, the peak era of death. Like that run of three albums is for me all lar- largely not perfect, but but near enough to it. It's uh, when things start getting really good. Yeah, they're nines and... or tens, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, um, I will make a note here that I think that you have, you know, sort of humorously, but I think um, correctly identified that there are two different kinds of metal bands. There's Spaceman metal bands and there's Caveman metal bands. Uh, this is I, I strongly believe this to be the case. And I, I believe, you, as I was saying about Scream Bloody Gore, you've got the, the embryonic stage of death metal before it's really split off from each other along those two tracks, as exemplified by death eventually evolving into the the star baby from the end of uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. And then you've got Autopsy that uh, refuse to evolve and just stay in the cave, like return to monkey, essentially. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this this human is definitely where death fully becomes like a astronaut band. Like you got even like Cosmic Sea, I think is the name of the instrumental track on the album, which is very uh, kind of spacey. Yeah. Instrumental. Um, very good. Um, and it, it, yeah, I, I love them for it. And I love Autopsy for being cavemen. Uh, something about that sort of a bit unabashed, um, you know, uh, Cro-Magnon shit going on is is pretty fun. But uh, this one, they really, really, really took it way farther than spiritual healing. Like, again, it, I cannot stress enough how much of a jump this is from spiritual he- healing in just one year. And I think a big part of that was that he had a whole new band uh, behind him. Checked it. Um, you know, there were two members coming from Cynic, which would be one of the more technical progressive death metal bands of that era a band that i listen to now like death and i'm like god how did this come out of the early 90s um but i think that what's interesting here is that we get kind of the birth of yet another genre in technical death metal which you know is still death metal but it's kind of its own thing um and i think that uh yeah it's just yet again chuck chuck becoming kind of uh the godfather of yet another thing here um, and in this case, it's much more melodic, um, very, very technical, obviously. Um, how that happens at the same time is very impressive to me. Um, they also don't sacrifice how heavy it is. Um, songs like Lack of Comprehension are just bludgeoningly heavy, but I think it's because they really started to understand uh, the use of contrast on this album. Uh, I know you've mentioned in the past that you don't like certain bands or certain genres because a lot of the times they're pretty stagnant the songs just kind of go for the heaviness without realizing that things aren't as heavy if if that's all you're doing and i think that they right, really like, get that here yeah like i think as i said before maybe one of my issues with deathcore is like if it's all breakdown all the time and you haven't built up to that uh kind of release of tension like if you haven't yeah built up enough tension to then release it like what what's the point of just going immediately for the 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 drop but yeah, again, as you say, this is an album that somehow, yeah, like increases everything in terms of uh, heaviness and, but but also, yes, as you say, melodicness and, and also just becoming more complex in other areas as well. Um, this is when you start hearing, I think, a lot more jazz influence on the playing, like especially in the uh, drumming of, uh, I think, Sean Reiner from uh, Cynic, like starting off the album first track with some very sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe Afro-Cuban jazz sounding like drum I kind of get the same vibe yeah yeah like that and again I don't know enough music theory to say like whether the the scales and solos that are being played derive more from jazz than they did previously but I I think it certainly sounds like that to me Uh, and it's very it's very welcome like it feels like a real development from the previous album as you say I'd have to agree Um, 
you know, something that I wanted to make a note of here too is this sort of pet theory I have that I've been promising to expand more on in uh, a later episode that I'm still sort of letting cook. There's there's some stuff I want to do more immediately than this, but I feel like the 90s, uh, you got this really interesting example of the dialectic between entrenchment and exploration because I think the late 80s were a period, uh, really a lot of the 80s generally, were, was a period of exploration. Uh, a lot of bands were trying totally new things. You got this big burst in different forms of metal, um, got this big burst in forms of music, just generally a lot of different kind of music being uh, experimented with in real time. And then I think that toward the end of the 80s and then the beginning of the 90s, you saw this real entrenchment where perhaps some bands were getting more commercial attention. So there was like a financial incentive uh, to maybe keep doing the same things and, and keep hammering home your sound that is getting this good reaction. Um, but that leads to stagnation. And so maybe the commercial interest drops off and that leaves you open to think, well, there's not a lot of money in this, so I guess I can just do whatever I want. And then you get some nice experimentation. Um, and by the mid nineties, I think you, you hit that, especially with death metal, which took a massive drop in popularity in the mid nineties. Um, but you started seeing people try new things toward the end of the decade, whereas death, uh, kind of jump over that period of stagnation entirely. Uh, which I think is really interesting that they were way ahead of the curve in the early 90s with this. Uh, I Before we move on, I wanted to make one more note that, again, I think the sequencing of the tracks is very strong. Something they would do on the next two albums as well is basically just open up, boom, we're hitting you directly with two of the best songs with uh, Flattening of Emotions and Suicide Machine opening this one. Two of my favorite songs of theirs, just one after the other, just bludgeon you. Um, now, one thing I want to... Did you uh, listen to this album on Spotify? Uh, human uh i think so yeah why uh the end of the album uh at least on this one i think it was the japanese release originally but it closes out with a cover of god of thunder by kiss oh yes yeah yeah like every version i listen to on spotify has that yeah yeah it's um it's it's an interesting decision <laughs> <laughs> it's it's weird like there's I think on one of those bonus uh, reissue discs for screen bloody gore like an anniversary edition there's like some rehearsal tracks where they're joking around playing some other kiss song like for a laugh and then by this time i guess they're like should we just actually do a kiss song like give it to japan like i i, I mean i think japan liked kiss at that time probably still does um it yeah and it's not some a band you think of as a direct influence on the heavier end of metal but like i think most bands of this time were at least like listening to kiss as kids and teenagers like there's, there's a more direct lineage, I guess, for black metal with the uh, the corpse paint thing, which is all just from Kiss, like, uh, directly. But yeah, even if Kiss, like, don't sound particularly heavy to modern ears, like, I think these these pioneers of extreme music were still listening to them and still drawing some influence from them. It's, it's just kind of jarring, I guess, to hear them then directly cover the band in their style. Yeah, I hadn't realized that it was a Kiss song. Uh, until later because i heard it and i was like what the fuck is this this does not sound like death this is a very strange song and then i was like oh that's why okay because it's a kiss song uh yeah. and not a death song decidedly um two years later we get uh individual thought patterns which um i wanted to just note again kicking off with a killer overactive imagination um uh, fantastic song um, definitely sort of lives in my brain. There's there's something about this song and then the next album, like the opening tracks just sort of like constantly shuffling through my head. Um, 
I didn't think of this, and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I didn't think that this was like a huge jump for them, which is interesting because a lot of the time, like these albums almost entirely come out one or two years apart. Uh, their last album would have a three year uh, gap between that and the one that came before, but this was just two years later. And I didn't really feel like it was a massive jump in uh, as far as like the ideas they were playing with, but I think it was just a bit like turning the screw, getting a little bit tighter. It's, it's certainly not as big of a leap as from spiritual healing to human. As you say, there's a much more uh, extreme leap in terms of uh, just composition skill and songwriting there. But yeah, this is perhaps more just a refining of the uh, style they first started on human. And yeah, really, really I think any differences are, are from, again, uh, another almost entirely new band, uh, most notably uh, Gene Hoglan on drums, I think maybe you can make an argument the best drummer death ever had sean reiner on human obviously amazing bringing in the jazz influence but gene hoglum also having like a nice jazzy touch in a lot of his drumming but also just insane amounts of power as as well just pounding the shit out of the drums and just providing a real nice backbeat for everything um also on this album i think uh andy larock who had played guitar in king diamond's band um which again i guess we don't think of as a direct influence on certainly not on uh, Chuck's vocals which tended to be more in the the death metal growling some shrieking as well but certainly not hitting the the falsetto heights of King Diamond but clearly there was some influence there enough that he uh, leapt at the opportunity to work with uh, a member of that guy's band so yeah like that yeah the the changes maybe a subtle from human but they're definitely there certainly in terms of the players and uh, the the jazz influences I think deepening even even though obviously it doesn't sound like jazz it's still a metal album but there's enough of it there that you, you definitely notice it compared to two albums previous yeah and uh, Gene Hoglan very pro Gene Hoglan podcast this one he gets our endorsement every time um, you know in the last episode with Manny we made it clear this is a very pro Howard Jones podcast we are adding to the hall of dudes with Gene Hoglan um because I think this is their their tightest uh, permutation band wise. I, I thought that this was like the best version of of, of death as far as the lineup goes. Um, you know, Andy Larock, fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned sort of the jazziness of of Hogland because you know he did play with Devin Townsend and Strapping Young Lad, very odd progressive sort of work. Uh, so it would make some sense. Of course, he was also a part of Death Clock. Um, from the show Metalocalypse. Um, very funny. I guess that they got a lot of strings to pull to get Gene Hoglan. It's, I, I guess Brendan Small, who created that show, like is like a, a full-on death metal guy. Like He obviously wrote and performed all the music in that show, uh, and apparently maybe was in, friends with enough guys in bands that he got in touch with Gene Hoglan and asked him to play on that stuff as well. I don't know. Uh, I mean... It's a fun little bit of trivia, at least. Yeah. Um, So then, 1995, we have Symbolic. uh, Another two-year gap here. And I think that, again, maybe not like a huge jump in terms of what they were wanting to do and what Chuck had in mind. Um, But I think it was a bit of a jump in terms of complexity. Uh, I think that this album was them hitting their sort of pinnacle of writing... Uh, very complex yet very heavy 
songs. Um, I This is going to sound weird. Uh, tell me if I'm totally off here. But for whatever reason, I couldn't get Master of Puppets out of my head when I was listening to this. There's just something about huh. this album that felt similar to me. I don't know if it's because the songwriting was so tight. I've always said Metallica stands out from the pack, not just because they got hugely commercially successful you know, later in their career, but I always thought of them as maybe the best songwriters out of their era of thrash bands. And I think maybe the comp- comparison here is that you know, Master of Puppets is a very heavy album, symbolic, a very heavy album, but also just very well written. I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, for me, it, it is between individual thought patterns and symbolic for my, my favourite Death album. Certainly the ones I've listened to the most. Um, yeah, like with this one, you're obviously seeing longer uh, songs in general and have more complex structures within them and just a, a lot more melodic uh, guitar playing and like leads and solos, uh, which already very present on Human and uh, individual thought patterns but like really sort of taking center stage here especially thanks to the the production being a lot sort of clearer and more powerful than the last cut like all the albums sort of progressing in clarity and uh punch in the production but this one i think hitting the perhaps the sort of high point for that um just allows everything to cut through a lot more and for you to really hear things and feel the impact of it that, that definitely helps a lot um but yeah like as well as having a lot of complex song structures and stuff, still being melodic enough that there's something like it's easy to get hooked into. Like I think probably uh, Crystal Mountain is among the first death songs I heard and the first that sort of grabbed my interest off of this album. I think starting strong. That's a really I actually wrote down that that's one of my favorite tracks on the album. Um, my favorite is probably the title track. I, I think that that one is one of their finest moments um brilliant song brilliantly written uh i think that it's interesting to note that the song structure is very similar to uh new wave of british heavy metal i think um i think the riffs they use on this album feel very much like that for me obviously faster heavier you know a little bit more complex but i can hear the seeds of of that still in death in 1995 when they'd hit their peak uh, I do think that if you listen with a discerning ear, you'll catch that. Um, yeah, like like you said, Chuck, sort of stating that those new wave of British heavy metal bands is the influence, and maybe having instead of like veered off into thrash and death, having like almost refined those influences in the way those bands wrote songs through his own project, just making it heavier into something that got called death metal, but that maybe took a different compositional approach from the other bands of the of that genre. I I think our last attempt to record this you brought up a couple of times the idea that chuck didn't seem to engage very much musically with uh the peers in the death metal scene i i assume maybe listened to them a bit but like didn't cite them as an influence as much as uh obviously the jazz and classical stuff and those other earlier bands we already talked about yeah um and and i think that makes some sense like i said they were ahead of the curve developing to try new things become in a lot of ways a very different band um this album sounds very little like scream bloody gore um whereas i think a lot of other bands in their sort of orbit kind of had a similar sort of sound better or worse or whatever and then maybe had some weird shit like morbid angel had some weird shit um to put it lightly but um yeah i don't think that he really 
stayed current with a lot of those bands, uh, at least from his interviews and from the sound itself. You know, he was sort of developing on a different branch. Um, you know, I will make a note that 1995, the same year as Slaughter of the Soul by At The Gates, one of my all-time favorite albums, um, and also, I think, very much influenced by Death, more than likely. Uh, you do you do hear some of like the early melodic death metal that sounds somewhat similar uh, to this album, just not as complex, um, not as maybe tightly written. Um, but I think of the riff structure, especially, you you get some similarities there. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were current with death, but I don't think he was really listening to it at all. No, that's that's the impression I get. It's weird that this is death metal that contains a lot of melody uh, within its songwriting. And that, yeah, I don't hear it as being the same thing as what gets called melodic death metal today. Like, essentially, in hindsight, I guess. Well, this is Just, a lot yeah. less corny. So, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. I do like some melodic death metal. I, I really actually enjoy a fair bit of it, especially the early melodic death metal. But yeah, it's a very cheesy genre. Um, but uh, one more note on this. You know, Gene Hoglin is back. That's great. Uh, guitar player Bobby Colble? Kelble? Coldplay? Coldplay? I don't know. I don't know. Um, by the way, with your accent, that makes it sound like Coldplay, um, which is <laughs> not a band yeah, I want to bring up ever, or much less on a <laughs> show about death. He's, he's, he's Bobby Coldplay now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I ruined it. Yeah, Bobby Coldplay. So Bobby Coldplay actually um, not only was on this album writing some fantastic stuff you know well how much he wrote and how much chuck wrote for him is i guess a question but performing some really interesting you know clearly definable death metal uh sort of guitar playing but he also teaches jazz guitar uh at a university apparently so i think that's pretty telling that you know i don't know if he was teaching jazz guitar before this or you know if he had been involved in jazz bands but you know that the fact that chuck sought him out is like this is a guy, this is a sound that I want, uh, is telling, you know, and it just sort of reinforces what you're saying, that that, that probably was more of an interest for Chuck than, than anything else. Yeah, certainly seems like it. Uh, so he takes uh, a lot of that sort of complexity, a lot of that sort of more progressive sound, capital P progressive, uh, which I'm not as interested in, uh, just to go ahead and give it away. Um, but a lot of prog stuff doesn't interest me in the slightest, which sounds odd because I'm a fan of, you know, I've mentioned Mastodon and Opeth on seemingly every show I've done without trying to, but uh, those are two of my favorite bands, and I think that you can fairly call both of them progressive in a lot of ways. Um, this one does have the capital P progressive and also the lowercase p progressive in the sense that they are moving the sound forward, they are moving forward as a band. Uh, they're just moving in a direction that maybe I'm not as interested in on Sound of Perseverance, in 1998, the final death album. Um, I don't know if you kind of had the same reaction to it, but it, it's definitely still great. Still a really good album. Don't get me wrong. Just less interesting to me. Yeah, I, I guess uh, that for that, for me, they hit their peak around individual and symbolic. And then this is like slightly starting to come down off that peak again. Again, still a great album. I would probably take it over the earlier incarnation of the band, but it's, it's maybe starting to become a little bit uh, noodly and, um, like over the top in that sense. I, I think it's important to note as well at this time, uh, Chuck's uh, focus was maybe 
moving more towards another band he was starting called Control Denied, which was intended to be a much more uh, progressive metal band, uh, which had another singer instead of him singing in a more kind of traditional heavy metal style with uh, more clean vocals. Um, and that seemed, I get the impression that's where his main interest lay, that um, there had been a request from their record label at this time, I think Nuclear Blast, uh, for another death album. And that maybe some of the material that had been written initially for Control Denied got uh, carried over and used uh, for this album by Death. I don't know how much it would have been changed for that. Or, but like, while it's it's, it's obviously still very much in continuity with Symbolic, it's uh, understandable, legible as a development from that album. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me as well that some of the material had initially been written for a different band that there is a bit of a difference in, in style there um yeah and control denied for that reason is also not as interesting to me um more so the vocals don't don't do anything for me but you know this album uh it, it has every other member of control denied other than the clean vocalist uh shannon ham on guitar scott clendenin on bass Richard Christie on drums. Uh, Richard Christie, probably better known for being a regular on the Howard Stern show, uh, which I found we don't have. Th- we don't have that over here. I don't know who that is. <laughs> you, yeah, wait. Really? I, I know. I know. I vaguely have heard the name Howard Stern, but like, I'm, wow. Yeah, uh, Howard Stern, very like lowbrow shock jock. Like uh, he had a recurring segment where he would bring on uh, adult film stars and have them sit on a uh sibian machine i'm not sure if you're familiar with what that is oh yeah Um, okay yeah it's it is a saddle that vibrates um in certain ways and he would try to conduct interviews while they were using the uh the sibiris machine um or sibian machine um and richard christie on this very intellectually provoking um very technically proficient album apparently was also a regular on that show which to me is extremely funny this that's the 90s i guess <laughs> yeah yeah very very much a 90s kind of thing um it is it is fun that i i can't praise the songwriting chops on this album enough like as much as i'm sound like i'm down on it, it it's mostly that they had such a high peak that the fact that this is slightly below that peak uh makes it sound like i'm i'm kind of dogging it when it's if this was the best band, or if this was an album another band made, it would probably be the best album they made by a pretty considerable margin. Um, yeah. My standards are just very high with Chuck, um, and I also think that it's it's important to mention that you know these songs are still heavy, you know, like just because they're a bit more noodly as you put it, or a bit more capital P progressive, they're still very heavy. I mean, they have maybe my favorite metal cover ever uh, with Painkiller. Uh, one of my favorite Judas Priest songs, who is another one of my favorite bands. Um, I think they they totally kick the shit out of that song. It's fantastic. Yeah, like already a very heavy song when uh, Judas Priest did it, just getting kicked up another notch. Uh, Chuck Schuldiner putting his balls straight in the vice to get the uh, the vocals on that song. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great performance. Yeah, the the guts to cover Judas Priest at all, much less try to. Uh, you know, match Rob Halford is that is yeah. You got to have some stones for that, man. Um, I also wanted to note the song "Spirit Crusher," which is one of my favorites on this this album, because um, this is another one that I noted 
could have probably come from a Gothenburg band. Uh, you know, that, that Swedish uh, mellow death kind of stuff that was happening in the mid to late 90s. I, I heard a lot of that in this song. And, you know, I probably shouldn't say that because that makes it sound like he probably was influenced by that stuff and put it into the song. Again, don't think that happened. I don't think he listened to them at all. I mean, maybe he did, but I don't think he did. And uh, the fact that this was developing concurrently with mel melodic death metal kind of brings us back to what we were talking about earlier with a lot of these bands kind of developing on the same paths at the same time because I hear the riff structure in that. Uh, I hear just kind of the guitar in that. And it, it does show me that he was a bit of a visionary if he developed concurrently with that entirely new sound. Uh, that's kind of impressive that yet again he's... He's basically forming new genres or, or dipping into new genres, even at this point late in their career. Yeah, and it's I guess I guess part of the reason we're talking about like death in these terms is because having a relatively short career uh, cut short by Chuck's untimely death at 34 from I think brain cancer in uh, yeah. 2001 leaves them with a discography that is extremely tight and cohesive and easy to talk about each individual album and it, it's also it is it's the thing like maybe we talk about them in these terms as being such a great band because they were cut short early like they didn't have a chance to drop off essentially like i i mean i would i think they would have kept creating incredibly good music and it was incredibly interesting to think about how else would this band who kept developing on each album have continued to develop like what would they have ended up being if they had gone on any longer uh, but th but then also I guess part of the, the very reason we're talking about them the way that we are discussing them in depth on this podcast is because there's that kind of finite like closed nature of the band and its discography because it was uh, cut short so early I don't know yeah um, I think you're onto something and I think that you know you mentioning what they could have sounded like I don't think. I actually am not sure, now that this is our take two and we've kind of had this discussion uh, in, in parts before, but I'm not entirely convinced that Death would have existed at all much past this album. Um, you know, like you said, he was sort of shifting focus to Control Denied. This had every other member of Control Denied except for the vocalist from that band. Uh, I think that it's probably fair to say he would have devoted probably all of his time to that band had he continued. But I do think that's interesting to consider because... I actually think Control Denied sounds more of its time than the last four Death albums. Uh, it sounds like a late 90s album to me, and that may be why I don't care for it that much. It's not bad, I just, you know, it's it, that's not my sound, that's not what I'm into. Um, I think that their, their first three albums sound very much of the late uh, late 80s, They're, and then Control Denied sounds very much of the, the late 90s. but. The fact that Chuck was such a progressively minded musician and such an innovative musician does make me think that we were in probably for a lot of surprises had they continued. Yeah, like, even if the Control Denied stuff developed in a way that perhaps wasn't quite to my tastes in the same way that Death was, I think it would have... I'm always happy for musicians to keep progressing along their own path instead of to keep treading old ground and doing the same thing. Like Even if it's not to my taste, I'd rather they, they do what they want to do and develop how they want to develop yeah uh, there are few things that bug me more in with really any form of art any genre anything like that um than fans feeling like they should own it 
you know, I think that this, uh, you know, fandom culture that we're in right now with people, you know, with comic book movies and with, you know, this, this, you know, sort of pop culture stuff with music going on and everything else, like a lot of fans feel like they are owed something by the artists. Um, and they think that they should be able to shape and mold the art as they wish, which to me kind of neuters the concept of art in the first place. Um, so I never would want to say like, I wish death would make more albums that I like. I want them to make human five more times. Um, maybe I would like to hear it, but I certainly wouldn't want anybody to do that on my behalf. Um, you know, I realized I was maturing quite a bit. Uh, you know, I used to listen to a lot of hip hop. I don't really listen to that much anymore. Um, but I used to really get into it in my college days. And I remember hearing um, Lil Yachty, which it's kind of, We've now mentioned Lil Yachty on a, a podcast about death, which is not something I ever expected to do. But my point is, I heard that artist, uh, and I appreciated what he was doing, but I also felt very firmly like, this is not for me. But that's also okay, because to me, this is pretty fresh. This is kind of a new sound that I haven't heard before. Um, and even if it's not for me and it's not made for me, I can still appreciate the fact that this is an artist who's trying something new. So, you know, just to reinforce what you're saying, like, please innovate, do new things, try new things. Um, don't do it for me. Um, and I, I worry it's, it's, that. Yeah. It's just a creative dead end. It's a creative dead end to assume that giving the fans what they want should be your, your main motivation instead of doing what you, the artist, want. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, that's, and, and that's what I was saying earlier about how you start seeing a lot of bands and genres as well start to tread water and get really, really boring really, really fast. Um, not to be like, uh, you know, sort of a snob about it and not to be like, you know, another thing I hate with art is that people sort of drag it back down. You know, they want, they don't want it to get popular. They don't want people to have an interest in it because uh, they're, they're very precious with it. They kind of feel, again, that sense of control, like, this is mine, this is a thing that only I like, you know, and that's, it makes me feel special, makes it feel special. Um, and I think that's just as annoying of an impulse. But, um, you know, I think that when, it, when things do get popular, you do run into an issue of that sort of taking over the artistic sensibilities, uh, intentionally or not, you know. Um, you run into a situation where it can be unintentional, where people start hearing something something is more popular so more people hear it so more people make music like it and then they just kind of run it into the ground or you get the more cynical thing of people hearing it and like ah people like this this is successful i'm gonna recreate it um and it, it is refreshing to know that chuck really never had any interest in that from the sound of it yeah exactly and and that like death well while death being still a very popular and revered band within the context of death metal and i guess metal more broadly like, you know, getting millions of views on Spotify for certain songs. Like, it's difficult to think of bands that directly have attempted to rip off their sounds. Like, it's it's very rare that I'll, I'll occasionally hear on some stuff, like, another, like, progressively minded band of the moment, Blood Incantation, there's, like, a riff or two on their most recent release where I heard it and I think, oh, that's, that's a death riff. Like, that really sounds like death there for that brief period. But it's not a, you know, it's not making your entire band like rip off the sound of um sound of perseverance or whatever like perhaps there are other bands that i'm unaware of doing things like that i know 
certainly there's that band gruesome that's like consciously a throwback to the sort of spiritual healing leprosy era of death from i think it's matt harvey from the band exhumed which i I think is being consciously done as just a fun retro throwback thing that's not intended to be like too serious for anyone involved but aside from those like direct like tribute bands essentially i don't think there are many bands directly trying to rip them off even now and i don't know if they could is the other thing um yeah because i think what makes death so special what made chuck so special was that again that sort of like aloofness that like he wasn't even he didn't really care what other people were doing at the time uh it didn't really occur to him and i think that if you do hear death and you think ah i'm gonna sound just like that you've already well you already don't sound like death because that that isn't what made death death um because that it that it, it is baked into the sound baked into the ethos uh of the band and of chuck as a as a musician himself that you know to tread water is to lose you know your artistic sensibility um so if you do do that then you're kind of already halfway out the door from being yeah. influenced by them really um but you do hear it i mean you do hear it some like you mentioned gruesome uh, the early albums, like the uh, the first three albums they had, um, you're starting to hear this new generation of OSDM, as they're calling it. It, ha- it has its own acronym, so that's how you know it's a thing, of uh, old school death metal, which I enjoy. I think it's fun, you know, to listen to bands like Rip to Shreds or somebody like that who just straight up sounds like a 1980s Tampa band. Uh, that's fun. It's cool. Um, you know, bands like Horrendous, I think, uh, are... Is Horrendous still a band? I don't think they put an album out in like four years. Yeah, they had a spin-off thing. I think it, the Silver that spin-off band. I I quite like that album. It's very different. But um, maybe they'll do something else again. But it, yeah, that's a band that's like I think taking on the spirit of kind of mid-period death without sounding completely like them. They've maybe got a a bit of an eighties production uh, quality going on to the sound of their guitars and stuff. But like, yeah, the songwriting is progressively minded. Like mid period death but not completely aping it yeah and that right there again maybe that's in the spirit of death is like you hear something you think that's neat i want to put a new spin on this i want to try something new but i am going to think about it i am going to keep it in mind as i'm writing just like chuck did with jazz and just did with new wave of british heavy metal and with kiss i think he actually named dropped kiss at a couple points and not just covered them um because you know a lot of these bands do sound like the next version of Celtic Frost. Like, if, if you took Celtic Frost and, like, put it in a time chamber and see what would happen years down the line, um, and and I think that taking taking death and, and doing that and, like, developing something new with them is, like, on the forefront of your mind, I think that's in the spirit of it. Um, and hopefully we get more of that. Hopefully... I think metal is actually in as good of a place as I can ever remember it being right now, um, because I don't think there's that much commercial viability to it, but you still have this vast web of people influencing each other. You've got a pretty lively scene on Bandcamp. Um, you know, I think that you're getting more of a, I think there's more of a scene right now with heavy music than there has been in the last few years, at least to my knowledge, and maybe it's just my city. Um, but we're getting a lot of heavy bands coming in and out of the city, a lot of tours coming in and out of the city. Um, and I think that hopefully we see that sort of mindset continue on of like, we're, we're going to chart new territory. We're going to do new things. More bands like Blood Incantation 
uh, more bands like Imperial Triumphant, uh, more bands like Zeal and Ardor, who I've mentioned a few times, mm. uh, bands who are willing to take some risks and try some things uh, that are new and exciting, because that's what makes this band so exciting, is that this was new, this was fresh, uh, and it was very, very interesting. So, did you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, I think we've covered mostly everything. I think the, the last few albums, we didn't end up talking about lyrically the development of them very much. Uh, Human, I think, is where you start seeing, even as the sound becomes more Spaceman and kind of venturing out into the cosmos, it becomes much more interior focused in terms of just internal emotions or sometimes like I guess attacks perhaps not attacks but like dealing with relationships perhaps influenced by Chuck's own life I I think pretty directly in some cases and yeah it's interesting again as we talked about the the heaviness and the melodicism of the band's music being simultaneously intensified both the expansiveness of the band's sound and the kind of almost interiority and emotional and psychological focus of the band's lyrics kind of developing and intensifying around the same time as well yeah i'm glad interesting i'm glad that you brought me back to that because that's another something that you know thinking about where death metal is now and really i think this is kind of a through line i don't think a lot of death metal bands really do that and maybe it's because a lot of them are not as um you know dominated by one band member the way death is but you don't get a lot of that personal touch um and I think that what makes music so interesting to me, what makes an artist really interesting to me, first and foremost, is did they put a piece of themselves into that album or that song? Um, did they did they take something internal and make it legible to me who doesn't even know them and doesn't share their experience? And the fact that Death was able to do that and Chuck was able to do that in a genre like this um, is very rare and very impressive. I think yeah I, I think of course musicians in any or well, good musicians in any field are, are always putting something of themselves into their art but like it's rare that it's so emotionally legible as in the case of uh like later period death especially yeah yeah I mean I think especially as as you get to sound of perseverance you do get more of that um it, it feels more raw it feels more emotional um I'm not sure when Chuck got his diagnosis uh of brain cancer but it does feel like uh sound of perseverance was him sort of grappling with some things i don't know just something about the sound something about just the overall like sweep of the album just felt to me very personal um and it was a pleasure to hear it you know just like it was a pleasure to hear the rest of their their albums always is yeah always it's um, like it's always a pleasure to guest on uh, the show dragging the lake uh, by your friend uh, jake <laughs> oh thank you so much um yeah so uh on that note um john anything you want to plug i am asking you because i want you to say your twitter twitter handle again because it always makes you slightly embarrassed and i think that's funny um but yeah i don't i don't know why you think a a grown man would be embarrassed by the twitter handle anal gender uh nine (laughs) years i refuse to change it that's right that's right just just draw that line in the sand and tell everyone i'm not crossing this just yeah. you got to come to me on my uh, after, yeah after this point i can't change it it would be giving up but yeah but yeah that's where i am that's where i am on twitter at anal gender if you want to follow me uh other than that i've not got a whole lot on uh but i'm always glad to come back on the show whenever you'll have me and i'm sure 
you will uh, be back on the show plenty of times. I would not be surprised if you defend your title uh, a few times on this show. So, um, everybody, if you're listening, uh, I don't. I promised myself I wasn't going to do this, but I, you know, I'm going to break down and do it because I'm having a lot of fun doing this. I have no idea if anybody actually listens to the show, um, and le- except for the people who are on it. Um, I don't really care that much, but if you are listening and you've gotten to the end of this, if you don't mind, like, rating, uh, maybe leaving a, a review, something like that, of the show. It's on Apple, it's on Spot, uh, Spotify, it's on Amazon. Um, you know, maybe that could get more people to hear it, and hopefully, the most important part, we can get a conversation about this music, um, about the things that we enjoy with this music, the bands we like, maybe give me some ideas to talk about. Um, you can reach me at Lake Dragging on Twitter. You can also email uh, lakedragginggmail.com. Um, so, yeah, that's what I want to do here. I want to get people's thoughts churning, give them some ideas, give me some new ideas, give me something to do. <laughs> um, so, any ideas, uh, any uh, things you want to hear, any topics, just let me know. I'd be happy to do it. I will drag John back on the show if need be. Uh, maybe make him listen to some stuff he hates because he did that to me on the last show uh, that he was on. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry I made you listen to that Cryptopsy album, man. It sucks so bad. I'm actually not sorry I heard it, um, partially because Cryptopsy's going to come up on the next show about Deathcore um, because I know that they were a massive influence on at least one band in the genre that was really influential. Um, and it is sort of funny hearing the snake eat its own tail of Cryptopsy kind of in a roundabout way creating deathcore um and then kind of ripping off the bands that they created it's there's something very sad but also poignant about that so i am glad that i heard it even though it sucks ass uh hopefully this podcast didn't suck ass i hope that none of my podcasts suck ass but if it does let me know just don't leave a review because that would be not helping me um so anyway thank you all for listening uh, next uh, next podcast we'll have my friend Ryan uh, to talk deathcore and we're going to give John some good things to listen to we're going to give you some good things to listen to and you will see me next week thanks everybody